I think after last weekend's Grand Prix, every single Formula One fan out there in the world has a rejuvenated energy around Formula One because the Singapore Grand Prix really showed some interesting things. And I'm so curious to see what the F1 track this team has to say about it. And I'm welcoming them today. Um, Matthew Kanai, who's renamed himself as Liam Lawson on this call, and we'll chat to him about exactly why. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hello, hi. Always good to be here on South Africa's number one Formula One podcast. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. It is there. It is the truth. We got to speak truth. And (laughs) joining us as well is a familiar voice to the podcast, but we haven't had him on for a while. And I'm super glad that he's joining us today. And that is Brent van der Skeef. Brent, you're alive. How's it going? Hey, Curly. Yeah, sorry, man. I've been fixing gearboxes on that polo, so I'm back now. Um, and yeah, live and kicking. Everything's great, and I'm happy to be back on. You you came back with a vengeance, just like Ferrari came back with a vengeance at the Singapore Grand Prix. <laughs> Big time. I always knew they had it in them, and that's the thing. It's just, uh, it just took a little bit of spark to get them going, and I wanted two other teams to... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, falter a little. <laughs> Let's actually talk about it because I've got a lot of um, things I want to discuss specifically around Ferrari and we'll get into Red Bull and some of and, and Mercedes a little bit later. But let's start with the guys from Ferrari because I think they deserve a lot of focus on this particular episode. And that's because they had a massive turnaround, Matthew. Let's stop, talk about a couple of positives coming out of it. Obviously, they managed to walk away with the win and in Red Bull's uh, winning streak. But at the same time, they also managed to pull off a double stack in a pit stop, which we never thought would ever happen in the 2023 season. Look, I must say that that was probably one of the most exciting weekends I've ever watched because, again, right, put the bias aside, it did give people an idea of what racing would be like if there wasn't any Red Bull dominance. But credit to where it's due, because of the top dogs not being there, not being able to perform, the rest of the team surged and took advantage of that, and Ferrari did capitalise. They had a very good game plan from the get-go and they needed to make sure that they had to cover the McLarens and they had to cover the Mercedes. So from the get-go, Carlos Sainz had a goal in mind. He was a little bit ahead of Leclerc and his brain, his thinking, his race strategy. I haven't seen something as memorable from Ferrari, if I remember, was when Alonso won 2012 in Valencia when he started from 11th and somehow miraculously got into the podium on home turf. I've never seen Ferrari just erupt with emotion, but I also haven't seen a Ferrari driver play the game so well. If you watched how Carlos drove from the beginning, if you watched the team strategy, if you watched his little tomfoolery with Lando, everyone was like, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's lapping slower every lap. And he did that on purpose so that he could always make sure he was within range for DRS and he was within range so that they could double stack. So, you know, credit to where it's due, fantastic racing, and Carlos has an IQ of 1,000. I was extremely impressed seeing those last couple of laps, Brent. What he did, not only for his bromance with Lando Norris, but the strategy behind it, being able to keep Lando as kind of a stopping point to keep the Mercedes away from him and away from the podium. Yeah, I think what you saw there was a masterclass in just big match temperament. And, you know, I always wonder how much influence his dad's got, uh, you know, speaking into his ear and and rearing him up to be this um, champion, which he's proving off this weekend to be every bit um, of 
And I mean, the way that he controlled, like Matthew mentioned, just the way that he controlled that race from the start and towards the end when the pressure was most, um, most high, uh, for him to be able to control pace at that, at that level, knowing very well that Mercedes had, you know, a fresh set of mediums um, going into that last stint. And it, it was just, it was spectacular to watch. Let's talk a little bit about, obviously, the second, I'm going to call in the second driver because the more and more 2023 unravels, I'm really starting to see that Charles Leclerc is not giving the performance that he needs to as a number one driver at Ferrari. Matthew, could they have done something a little bit better to to improve his chances or could he have done something better? Look, Carlos has done absolutely nothing wrong. And I've always said this quite openly is that Ferrari have put all their hopes in Charles Leclerc and having someone who works in Formula One, he, he said the demeanor as soon as Charles joined was that Ferrari and Charles are number one and everyone else is second best. And I understand there is a, a driver hierarchy. It's just Ferrari's ethos is always around Charles and they don't give Carlos that opportunity. So they believe Charles is the future. They extend his contract way beyond and above. But Carlos doesn't seem to get that sort of treatment, even though personally, I think that Carlos is a way better driver than Charles. I think Charles has got a lot more um, that he needs to step up in terms of Carlos. But I think because of opportunity, it's just it's Carlos that's carrying the weight. And we can definitely see it. And from the way he drove, we can see, look, he's got technically the second best car and he didn't have as much opportunity as Charles. But in a race like this, he proved that he has the ability to put the team first and to control it, making sure that he was lapping slower so that the cars could get into the pits at the right time. There was strategy for a safety car. There was all these sorts of scenarios. I think with this in mind, it just gives the confidence back to Carlos. But obviously, it just shows that Ferrari need to give a little bit more love and a little bit more attention to Carlos, because every single race, we always see that bad marriage where they're bickering and there's a back and forth and it's always about Charles and Charles fighting with Carlos. But it's never a case of Carlos fighting with Charles. Carlos is always the one saying, hey, we need to do this. What are we doing? Let me turn him faster. And all like, no, let Charles do his thing. He's the golden child, sure. <laughs> but this is just proven that, you know, if you give Carlos the opportunity and the conditions are right, he's not going to listen to the team. He's just going to show them, look, against my own game in this race, I'll show you that I can win. And if you've got your number one boy, um, let him catch up. And obviously that wasn't the case. Could he have done something better uh, from Charles Leclerc? Is there a way that he could have, they could have had a one-two finish? They definitely could. But I think, you know, in, in terms of the conditions and how things went, um, it, it just wasn't Charles' day. Um, as we know, the cars perform equally as well on track um, when they're set up correctly. In the case of Red Bull, it wasn't, which we'll get to that later. But I just, I don't think Charles had what Carlos had for that weekend. And I think it was quite evident and we saw that. Um, he had the right tools. He had the right tires. He had the correct data. As we know, practice one's for the engineers. Two is for the drivers. Three is for when you try, figure up the two. Um, and I just don't think Charles had what Carlos was matching for that race. And the conditions just favored it. So I think going forward, they just have to be a little bit more of a team player. But in this case, uh, Carlos just found the formula that Charles couldn't find. Yeah, I think to just to add on to that, um, it's if you look at the qualifying pace from last year and before to this year, you know, uh, Carlos is, is completely outdone him, um, you know, in, in every single, or on average, uh, pretty much the entire season. And, and it shows even in race pace, 
you know, he's he's ahead of um, uh, Charles in the in the um, championship. And you know, again, I think Ferrari have got a couple of questions to to answer. Um, and you know, outside of that, if you just look at the body language between the two drivers, um, Carlos is on the ascendancy, um, and just you can see the way he communicates on the radio. You can see just the way that he acts even after in the in the, in the interviews. Uh, you know, versus versus look, look, it's just it kind of feels like his body language isn't quite there versus what it used to be. So how much of that Ferrari sort of, uh, you know, failure from the beginning uh, of, of the season is, 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 is coming back to haunt him? You know what? I, I was watching this race and I was, I was kind of in my head. I wanted obviously Ferrari to do well because we want to see them shine and we want them to go out there. But it's just this lingering feeling that they're putting so much pressure on Charles to perform and to come out on top that he's not performing. It's, it, I feel like he's crippling under the weight of the name that is Ferrari. This is F1, Greer. It's, it's, it's the top of the top. It's the best of the best. Yeah, uh, Ferrari come with the biggest history in F1. Um, it, it is a big weight to carry on your shoulders, but if you're not good enough to do it, which we've seen other drivers who have been good enough to, to do it, then perhaps you need to question your position. And to be honest, with the driver market looking the way it does at the moment, Matthew, what do you think? Do you think Ferrari will axe Charles from his seat anytime soon? Because he's the only one that's sitting on the grid with an extended contract. Look, I don't think they'll axe him. I think Charles is a great talent and he's, he's done well. He's gone through the academy. He's got a great relationship with Vasseur. So I honestly think that they will keep him. I think one to keep an eye on, like I keep saying, is Carlos with his strong links to Audi Sport. They've got to keep him happy um, and they've got to keep that team functioning. But also it's a very, very hot contested seat. We all know that Charles signed to 2024-25 and beyond. Uh, Carlos just has the one-year extend, whereas uh, the multi-years with Leclerc. So if Carlos you know, performs, he could stay another year. But... If he decides to dip, there's an open seat at Ferrari and everyone knows that's a golden opportunity, but it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Do you go to a team that's sort of cursed and is not getting their formula right or do you just, you know, take the plunge? So I think Carlos is the one to be eyed on. I think the the future is secure. You know, Leclerc is kind of like a Verstappen. He's embedded in the team. He loves the team. The team love him. The bosses love him. Um so I don't think he's going anywhere. I think Carlos is the one that they should keep an eye on because depending on how they treat him for the rest of the year, that's going to be the interesting one because mid-season he could just decide to up and leave and then that's going to be the biggest shake-up. Okay, let's go. And I, I'm purposely leaving this one for you, Matthew, for a little bit later. I first want to hear Brent's conspiracy theories. What in the world happened to Red Bull? They were showing amazing performance, amazing speed, amazing reliability. And then they went into Singapore with already a negative kind of standpoint. And it just got worse and worse and worse as the weekend went on. Yeah, firstly, I, mean, I think I had visions of Matthew in the fetal position crying on, on his lounge floor, <laughs> um, which he never posted. That is um, true. That's why. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what? I think... You need to realize a few things here. Um, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in F1. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to say, um, Adrian Newey, like I've, I've, I've written about, is, is, is just one of those guys that know, knows how to bend the rules beyond. 
Um, and we're not saying breaking the rules or, or, or you know, you're cheating, um, but he knows how to work the rules. And, you know, there was a lot of talk before with regards to the, um, you know, the, the whole flexi win discussion. And there was a, a, a limit in which teams could operate in, in essence, to control that downforce and, you know, and to play it to the advantage. And, and you know, the rumor was that, that, uh, that Red Bull kind of exceeded the accepted levels. Um, again, these are discussions that were had behind closed doors. But if you've read Newey's book, How to Build a Race Car, you know exactly how this man thinks and you know where he's going to go. So did they clamp down? That Red Bull just did not look like it was in control there. Max was fighting with that car so much and that, you know, it wasn't going to be their weekend. It just didn't look like that at all. So, you know, whether or not it's going to persist going into Suzuka, I don't think so. I think there's been lots of late nights and they're going to, they're going to sort that car out and they're going to sort that team out. Um, and you'll see a different uh, Red Bull this weekend. All right, Matthew, let's hear your conspiracy theory. Well, everyone knows I'm a very open Red Bull fan, and it's a, it's a love-hate relationship with the public. People hate you. People don't like you most of the time. So very interesting to see when we were on the back foot how many people threw the stones, um, and a lot of people cast it towards uh, what is affectionately known as TD018, which is the technical directive that impacted quote-unquote Red Bull, but it actually didn't. So there was a lot of rumors that Red Bull were taking advantage of the flexi floor and wings, which means that if you see some of the floor cams, the car would be pacing down to the main straight, and then in the corner, the wing on the front end would sort of lift and bend, but that just wasn't the case. It's just a blip what happened. So what happens is, and, and Brent knows this as a racing driver, each track is set up very, very different. And this was a complete anomaly to me. And obviously, I was completely struck. I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and the drop of performance, it, it says nothing about the rest of the season. So that was an anomaly. The car just wasn't set up and it just wasn't handling Singapore correctly. No matter what the teams did, no matter what they threw at it, the front end just wasn't getting grip. And the rear end just kept on sliding, and that's what we kept sawing. And Matt, Max does like a very understeery car where he can control that, and Sergio is a little bit of the opposite, but they just couldn't get it right, and that was the issue. It was just car setup, and no matter what they did, it just became more and more difficult. And on a race weekend when a car is in park for May, you can't make massive changes because then you're done for a penalty. So to get it into the positions that they did was quite an achievement, to be honest, but... The straightforward answer is no, the technical directive did not affect them. It was just not having the correct setup for the track weekend, and it did pay a massive price. Uh, 10 straight wins for Verstappen goes out, and Red Bull's 15, but still a, a, an impressive record, but one that was just, you know, we'll never know. Um, with top teams like this, we see them performing so perfectly and we're just like, wow, it's another Verstappen Red Bull weekend with Sergio, blah, blah, blah. And then to see them fail, there's all sorts of things that are thrown out our way. But to be honest, no one will actually come out with what impacted it. But from the consensus and Christian obviously doing a lot of interviews, he said it was an anomaly. Max was also quite, you know, question marked about what the heck just happened. So uh, straightforward answer car just was not set up and it exposed a weakness that they said uh, that they'll pick up for next year but yeah very very uh, tough tough weekend yeah how much is Christian Horner paying you to say this oh uh, well I, I live a very comfortable life and I'm very happy here in South Africa so um, let's <laughs> have a positive a, weekend. 
Is it Valkyrie Park in the front there? Animal sponsored Valkyrie. It's under the covers. But again, it's look. It, it's very tough to say. Look, um, we we did not perform as well as I thought. Um, you know, even the practices, there was a very big drop in performance. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't working with aero. The tires weren't working well. So again, everyone in the entire world just sat down and said, "What the heck is going on?" So it wasn't something to laugh and point at. It was kind of like, "What the heck's going on?" Because this was a record-breaking car that all of a sudden is performing as best as P6 and P8. So I honestly took as much data as I could. I read as much as I could and I followed up and everything comes back to the car was not set up correctly and they weren't affected by technical directive. And that'll probably stand for this weekend. If this weekend the car and team performs way beyond expectation, like, you know, Singapore was just a blip, then it just goes to show you it was set up. But if they perform badly this weekend, then I guess we've got a bigger problem. Yes, a bigger rules problem, I would possibly say. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's very big. But yeah, it's, it's that. And I don't think it's going to be ongoing. And you know, the strategic calls for when safety car, it was just drove the cards. You know, we, we wanted to have, uh, you know, both cars put in. But what happened was as soon as that safety car came in, it came in at the wrong time, which means that the lead cars basically got a free stop. And they got fresher tires and we were on the back foot. So we were hoping that that safety car wouldn't come out at that time with us putting there. We could have gotten to top five. Um, so to answer that sort of question as to what happened there, um, in terms of strategy, it was just wrong timing of safety car. We planned it for it to come later. It came in early and the lead cars got the advantage. Brent, maybe you can talk to us about this one as well a little bit, because I was also very confused. Um, and I think a lot of people, as you know, um, just general watchers of the sport, would have also imagined that Red Bull would have brought those cars in for a pit stop. Yeah, look, you just don't know um, what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the data. Um, they're obviously correlating so much. Um, you know, at the same time, they're trying to understand everyone else and trying to get the jump. Look, they're all on the back foot from the start. So they're always going to take the biggest gamble. So, look. What was what the thought process was behind the scenes? I'm not entirely sure, but it just didn't look like it was Red Bull's weekend, um, and it wasn't going to get um, that much better. And for Max to finish where he finished ultimately at the end, you know, he could have actually got a podium. You know, mm. you know looking at it, um, so yeah, it's just a bit of an unfortunate one. But you know, I think there were, there's going to be lots of hard conversations from this past weekend. A uh, bit of a shakeup, bit of a bit of a you know, couple of fists being slammed down the boardroom tables, but. Uh, yeah, you're going to see Suzuki, you're going to see them back on top. Yeah. All right. So we, we kind of, I, I wait to see. I'm going to put a pin in this and we'll chat about it after Japan because I think that's really where it's going to shine on whether there was infringements, weren't infringements, you know, all the drama. And we'll, we'll put to bed a couple of conspiracy theories. Um, let's move on into Mercedes, Brent, because this for me was a massive opportunity for Mercedes. They saw a little kind of green light at the end of the tunnel and they took it. Yeah. Oh, man. It was great to watch. Um, it was it was just interesting to just see the, the dynamic unfold as the pressure, uh, you know, came on. I think if you listen to um, uh, to George's uh, communications early on when, when, you know, he insisted that, you know, they were en route to win the race. Um, you can sense a little bit of desperation in, in, in that, but he was he was definitely gunning for it. And, you know, they, they, they had, like I said, the fresh set of mediums um, and it just 
uh, with that with that safety car just came quite right for them um, and it just looked like they were gonna they were gonna take it and the pace was just you know spectacular towards the end and you know it, it just went and, and and went for it and, and and for george to make that mistake it was quite a it was quite a moment uh it just showed you know he's 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 been brought into the team it's supposed to be the old uh, you know changing of the guard from george to to uh, from Lewis, sorry to george um and he feels the pressure on his shoulders he and he firmly believes that he is the better driver there no matter what pr speak uh, gets spun um and he pushed quite hard and 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 lewis you know in in, in those pressure stints there's no one better than him when it comes down to that um we've seen it time and time again he has got the coolest head on that grip and when the pressure's on him you can count that he's going to deliver performance in and and George ultimately just made that one mistake that Lewis didn't and paid it. Matthew, is it not a showing of George's... Um, he still needs to grow. He still needs to develop. He still needs to get that mindset. And I think we put so much emphasis and so much thought into, um, you know, George, like Brent said, is changing off the guard and he's going to come in and he's going to take over from Lewis. I just... He's this showed he's not there. Yet. No, I, I agree. Look, George is a is very, very talented driver. In fact, all of them are talented drivers, but I started to get hints of his behavior through his Williams days, especially particularly when we saw him crash into Bottas when it was clearly his fault and he lost his temper. Um and we kind of saw the same thing as soon as he joined Mercedes, where he was the hothead, the hot shot. I understand that he's in a top performing team and he needs to prove himself, but Seeing a mistake like that, I, I kind of, you know what, I really wanted George to get his P3. Lewis was working very hard, but he cracked under pressure. He knew that pushing his car too hard would make that mistake. You know, the cars are going into that corner really, really hard. He was on the brake, steering twitched, locked, went straight into the wall. I kind of just said I knew it because, again, George didn't have to commit. The issue was... Carlos was playing the DRS game with Norris and George decided to say, hey, look, if they're going to do that, I can maybe sneak ahead and I can catch a couple of tents to catch up to them and maybe get P2. And that triggered an effect for Hamilton to say, well, I don't want to lose that time. I want to catch up to George because I can see he's picking up the pace and I'm also gaining on him. So by doing that, George didn't say to himself, look, as a team player, it's the last ends of the laps of the race. Let's just make sure that we can collect points as a unit. We can get ahead of McLaren and Ferrari. Um, we can get valuable constructors points. Let's just bring it home. P3 and P4 is good. But with him just edging too much towards the end, it did cost him. And he was crying. I do feel sorry for him. It's, it's a very sucky thing as a driver, but you kind of help, you know, you can't help but notice and say to yourself that, George could have just been a little bit more patience, and the patience comes with maturity. If you were in Hamilton's shoes, Hamilton wouldn't have pushed so hard because he knows that the Ferrari's got the pace and Norris is trying to catch that. Let's just hold on for a comfortable P3. It would have worked out, and um, it was a very costly gamble, but I think maturity and sense, uh, just it wasn't there for George, and uh, I think it's something he will have to learn over time because, as he said, he lost out on a very valuable podium and a memorable experience, but now he's cost the team constructors points that they would need for the end of the year. Brent, should that not have been a directive from the team then? Should they not have come in with it going, okay, guys, listen, we're not going to catch them. The data shows that, okay, maybe the data shows that we could potentially, but it's better to get three and four here. 
No, I, I, I don't think that it would have been like that. I think that, that they would have been told to race. Um, it's knowing Lewis, knowing what, what he's got in his contract, he, he wants to win. He wants, he wants that, that, that eighth um, title and that's, and that's just the way that he is. So I think to, again, you've got to understand that if it was a race, you know, George was under a lot of pressure to break the toe and to just get ahead and break that sort of DRS zone from, um, uh, from, from Lewis. Uh, team directors don't think so. And that was a race. Mm. Okay, well, it was a sad day for George, um, and uh, as Matthew said, he he did his famous George crying, which makes us all feel very sorry for him and makes us, you know, have that EQ and, and whatever, whatever at the end of the day, but he does need to perform. He, he's in one of the top teams in Formula One, and a mistake like that, I can tell you now, he definitely got shouted at profusely when he got back into the garage. Um, Brent, let's talk about another guy who... For me, I really thought he shone fantastically this weekend. And it makes me a little bit sad because there's only one seat that's open in Alpha Tauri for next year, or two seats that's open for Alpha Tauri. And it's now between Liam Lawson, Danny Ricardo, and Yuki Tsunoda. And Liam really showed that he deserves that seat this weekend. Yeah, I think uh, just to introduce maybe a third, uh, another dimension here is that. Um, you got to look at it collectively from multiple different angles here, uh, and from a Red Bull side as well. Liam, as you know, in his in his own right, has done incredibly well. Third GP, um, we knew that he was going to build up to it. Uh, you know, as done for it, the, gave him the the right to go out and just you know have fun. He did well, um, and for him to finish P nine, you know, Max Verstappen. Okay, look, I mean, obviously it, um, uh, the Red Bull we know wasn't wasn't doing well, but still. You know, for an Alpha Tari to to do that, um, bettering Yuki Sonoda, the pressure's on Yuki Sonoda. But again, Yuki Sonoda, I don't think he's too too phased about that because he's going to sit there. What I can say is, is um, I, I believe Daniel Ricciardo's contract's been signed for twenty twenty four, and he's going to stay. Uh, he's definitely going to stay. Um, I think the pressure now is on Sergio Perez because if Perfect timing there. If 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 Liam continues this type of uh, performance and he stays in this car, then you know that's definitely going to put some pressure on Red Bull to make a call uh, as to what Perez's situation is at the end of the season. You you know what's the best thing about this is that we actually have Liam Lawson on the line with us in the form of Matthew Kanai. Matthew, <laughs> your opinion on this one? Yeah, I mean Liam Lawson is just uh, he's shining very very bright. Interestingly enough. Um, he did in three races what Nick DeFries and Tsunoda for his teammate this season couldn't do in 10. So he's got a lot of eyes on him. Uh, rumor is that because it's the Japanese Grand Prix, Tsunoda's contract will be announced this weekend. So we're yet to hear what happens in 2024. Um, but again, he's just really, really a bright talent. He's got two points. And in the driver standings, he is last. But I mean... He's ahead of Logan Sargent, who's in the Williams, and ahead of DeFries and Daniel with two points, and that's quite valuable, especially considering that he's not a, a permanent driver. But, yeah, it's yet to see what's going to happen. Everybody loves him. Everybody's really impressed with him. And um, th that's kind of the, the interesting thing. I, I don't know what will happen because Daniel still had to find his rhythm. And I love Daniel, but... Daniel obviously had a, a very unfortunate incident 
um, but wasn't performing as much uh, as we wanted to. Liam just came, you know, as the super sub and then kind of put that AlphaTauri exactly where they wanted to. Tenoda is very consistent with that. So the AlphaTauri hot seat's quite interesting. But also if if Tenoda is announced and, and Daniel has the seat for next year, it kind of begs the question, Lawson is up for grabs for any of the teams. So he could also go there should the Red Bull guys not Kristen want him. Martin. <laughs> I, I, I know because, you see, and that's a big gamble because he's a massive talent and everyone can see, you know, he, he's putting that Alpha Tari into the top 10. It's not a performing car. Um, it's still got a long way to go. But, yeah, very, very impressive. Um, I'm yet to see. And I think, um, you know, with, with Daniel still on the men for injury, I think that Lawson will definitely raise a lot of eyebrows if he can score again this weekend. So, um He's a hot topic at the moment. I know there's a lot of driver conscious, but I think he's one to watch because if he doesn't land a seat at any of the Red Bull cars, I think he's up for grabs at, um, you know, nepotism. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Japan. Um, Brent, we saw some great performance from the McLarens over the weekend, well, at least from, from Lando Norris. And rumor has it that McLaren is set to bring another massive upgrade to the uh, M- MCL 60, and that's going to happen at Jap- in Japan. Talk to me about this. Do we think that it's going to really help them or not help them? Because, you know, with McLaren, it's always a gamble. Either the upgrade works or it doesn't. Yeah, well, it has already because I believe uh, Norris already ran with, with, uh, with all of those upgrades this past weekend. And, and um, Piastri had some of them, but not all of them. And he'll get the full upgrade this weekend. Um, and even Piastri showed great pace. Uh, you know, he, and he's just another rookie. It's just absolutely knocked the lights out and proven that he's the real deal to, to be in um in in f1 and for him to to be with mclaren and, and for mclaren to have him and norris um they've got the right driver lineup um and they seem to have the right package and they're just slowly built up built up built up and the, these upgrades are showing you know great promise for them to 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 take flight through to mercedes um and it, and again this past weekend showed so i think norris is going to continue the 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 trend from this past weekend into suzuka and we might see Piastri jump up one or two places. Okay, well, let's get into the bulk of it. Um, let's talk about what you are expecting going into Japan this weekend. Yeah, I, th- I think, like I said, following the conversation around Red Bull, they would have definitely had many sleepless nights and, uh, you know, hands on the problem and um, getting it right. And they've got all the right brains behind it as well. So they, um, they're definitely going to come back with a different um, different setup compared to what you've seen the past weekend. Um and I think I think with 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 Mercedes, it's likely going to be much of a muchness uh, continuing the format they did as well. And like I said, I think with the with the upgrades and, and McLaren, you know, bringing a sharper package to the weekend, um, it'll be it'll be uh, that that fight also coming up against Mercedes. So you know, hopefully we can see another your four car dice towards the end of the race for the win, uh, which is the best thing ever for F one because um, you know up until now we haven't seen it so what are you saying are we saying that we're going to have a, a a red bull on the in the number one spot or are we going to go with a, a ferrari again this weekend uh i think red bull's going to be back um if, if they can just dial that card ever so slightly if the the margins in f1 are so tight so they they likely don't need to do too much to bring it back but yeah i i, I think max, max is going to be back up um 
And yeah, and then the, the, the rest, obviously, Ferrari, Mercedes and, and McLaren, you know, they're going to have to fight for those uh, other two spots on the podium. Okay, so who's your one, two and three? My one, two and three is Max P1, Lewis P2. And I'm going to go with Anaris for P3. Interesting. Okay, Matthew, your predictions and your expectations for Japan? I think Japan is going to unleash kind of like a... a a stance on where Red Bull are with people saying what they said and them being on the back foot. So I think they're going to unleash full potential for this weekend. So I'm going to obviously put Max in, in P1 and I'm going to put Sergio P2. Uh, they've generally done very well. I'm also really hoping for that white livery this weekend. That would absolutely make my entire life because it'll be super beautiful. But I'm going to throw in a massive, massive spanner, which no one is going to predict. I think... Lewis Hamilton has been getting very, very, very close to ending his longest winless run. And I'm going to throw a spanner in the works to say that Hamilton might get a P1 in Japan with Max a close P2, but it all depends on how it goes. I've obviously got strong hopes for Red Bull, but I kind of feel that Japan being a special race also for him, I feel like Lewis could get himself a P1, Max could get a P2, and Sergio could get P3, uh, mostly because Red Bull, obviously, if they won in Singapore with Max P1 and with him winning in Japan, he would have won the championship this weekend. But obviously, they still have a few races to do it, and they're going to unleash as much constructor gap as they can. I feel like they try to get as much as they can from a P2 point of view, maybe focus on the next race to get a P1. But I have a strong feeling that Lewis will do very well this weekend. Um, yeah, I think Matthew's got something definitely going there. Um, Lewis has won that race, I think, like four or five times before. And um, so he, he definitely likes that track. He likes the, the, the it's kind of like a way home race for him in a sense because he's, he's so well loved in, in Japan. And, you know, I think that, uh, again, you know, records are records, but, you know, outside of that, he's he has shown great, you know, forms here. So, you know, we do hold, hold thumbs, but at the end of the day, this is F1 and anything can happen. And I am unbelievably confused. I've got nothing for you guys today. I have no <laughs> idea what is going to happen in Japan. Come on. I don't even know how to pick my super brew. Like, I have no <laughs> cooking clue. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get back to you guys after FP. And 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 then I will have an understanding because I, I'm like Matthew. I also want to see what those Red Bulls are going to do um, because I, I'm very skeptical now. They've made me very nervous about their performance. So I'm very confused. Yeah, we'll see. I think another interesting to keep in mind is that Suzuka makes similar demands on a car to Silverstone. So if you are trying to make predictions, look at how Silverstone is. Track conditions are quite similar besides temperature. But that sort of track performance from a car from Silverstone is what we are expecting for what most teams are expecting from Suzuka. So kind of use that and then factor in the upgrades that teams have done. And that should give you an order where that's why I kind of have an indication that with Mercedes upgrades, I feel like they might be strong along with the Aston Martins, but Red Bull, we just have to see if, um, you know, if this technical directive did really affect them. So that's why I'm throwing in the Mercedes powered cars there. I think Ferrari, they'll get into the comfortable top five, but I feel like the Merck-powered cars are really going to do well at Suzuka. And and Red Bull just remains a, a question mark for one, two, but they definitely will be there. Okay, so Alex Albon for the win. <laughs> Alex Albon, definitely top eight. I, I'm putting money on Alex Albon finishing top eight again. That's if Sergio doesn't hit him, but story for another day. 
I just want to bring it back to a few episodes ago when everyone was uh, was was uh, throwing shade at um, at Alban and, and just look how well he's done. You know, <laughs> and, and I backed him. I backed him. I th- I still think that he's got the minerals, man. And so yeah, I'll I'll. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll share your craziness, but uh, definitely not a <laughs> All right, gents. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely amazing. So much controversy happening in the world of Formula One at the moment. And I think it's just going to get more and more interesting as we get into, uh, you know, Japan this weekend. And then, of course, race down to Abu Dhabi at the end of the year. But thank you so much. And if you guys have any comments, make sure you hit us up on social media channels uh, and let us know what your predictions are or if you agree or disagree with any of our conspiracy theories. Um, Brent, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Good luck this weekend.